Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We have a few announcements this morning, beginning with an invitation to please tell us you are here by using the sign-in link in your bulletin. You can also use the giving link in your bulletin to support the work and mission of this congregation with your tithes and offerings. Those of you who are in person can also put them in the giving box, which is located just outside the sanctuary. 363's Summer Shoe Drive continues for our friends at the Homeless Alliance and Joe's Addiction. We need all sizes of new or lightly worn footwear that are street worthy. No dress shoes, please. You tie the laces together, write the size on a piece of masking tape and tape it on the top of the shoe, then bring them to church from now through July 30th, the shoe box is located just outside the sanctuary. If you are someone who has been thinking about how you want to be remembered, or you want to give your loved ones a little bit of direction when it comes for time for them to say their goodbyes, you are welcome to attend a memorial and funeral planning workshop on Monday, July 17th at 11 a.m. at Mayflower. Vacation Bible School and our Compassion Camp is next Sunday. Preschool through fifth grade students will learn what every living thing needs. Compassion Camp runs from 11 o'clock that morning to three in the afternoon, starting with a pizza lunch and ending with ice cream. To sign up your student, exactly, yes. <laughs> to sign up your student or to volunteer, contact Joanna or contact the uh, main office. You can also use a sign-up link and registration form that is located in your bulletin. Mayflower has a new support group forming for 20, 30, and 40-somethings called the Kombucha and Avocado Toast Hour. When I say support group, I mean that we are going to start by feeding each other. So come to the walkie house for a potluck and meet good people on Tuesday, July 18th from 6 to 8 o'clock. Our addresses in the bulletin and in the directory, that whole announcement, along with everything else I have just said, is in the bulletin, on our website, and delivered right to your inbox every Thursday. Now, let us begin with our call to worship. Come, let us build a space of belonging and connection. The Spirit is within us between us and beyond us, beckoning us towards abun abundant. We've come to learn more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. With the Spirit as our guide, we will take our next faithful steps together. We rise.
Let's pass the peace of Christ to one another. We now enter into a time of community prayer where we trust each other with our joys and concerns. We start with joy. The birthdays we celebrated recently include, but are not limited to, Ben Gray Adams, Abigail Dake, Donovan Wickland, Hudson Eldridge, Lindsay Neal, Melissa Burke Smith, and Cindy Franson for the lives and Rick. Thank you. Be careful who you sit next to, Rick. They'll out you. For the lives of these beloved, let the people say, thanks be to God. 
We share in the joy of several anniversaries today. On June 5th, Scott and Maria Mall celebrated their 20th anniversary. And tomorrow, Jim and Laura Freeman celebrate their 53rd wedding anniversary. So for the gift of love, let the people say, thanks be to God. Mayflower, will you please help me give a warm welcome to this morning's Distinguished Pulpit Series preacher, the Reverend Tamara Labak. You have been reading about them for weeks, but Reverend Labak is a community and social justice minister affiliated with First Unitarian Oklahoma City and the chaplain at the Terrence Crutcher Foundation in Tulsa. She is an educator, curriculum designer, facilitator, trauma-informed practitioner of restorative justice, writer, song, singer and songwriter, and backyard chicken farmer. <laughs> Tamara is currently working on her doctorate at Phillips Theological Seminary. For the work and ministry of Reverend Labak and her presence with us this morning, let the people say, thanks be to God. Last Monday, all of that mustard and mayonnaise we collected did indeed make it to Fellowship United Church of Christ in Tulsa, along with the rest of all of the condiments we collected through voice churches. It was more than a carload, so well done, for faith-based community organizing and hot dogs and hamburgers that won't be dry. Let the people say, thanks be to God. Mayflower Youth Ryan Christofferson has been selected to represent Yukon, Oklahoma as a national youth correspondent to the 2023 Washington Journalism and Media Conference at George Mason University for an intensive study of journalism and media. Ryan was chosen based on academic accomplishments and a demonstrated interest and excellence in journalism and media. For Ryan's hard work, and for this opportunity for DC to get to know one of our best and brightest, let the people say, thanks be to God. I invite you now to say aloud a name or a place that may mean something only to you, but that will be enough for us to help you carry it. Let us be in prayer together. You have heard the names we have spoken aloud, Holy One, and we trust that you know those that are but whispers in our hearts. To those names we add John and Karen and Mary. We pray for Rod and Chelsea, for Meg, for Carol Harness as she recovers from surgery. We hold close Betty and Joe Snyder, Jonathan and Teresa, and Lynn's sister, Becky. As the 500th day of Ukraine's defense came and went last week, Holy One, we are reminded that the path of peace is ever before us. We must pray for it, work for it, and wage it in our hearts, in our homes, and with our neighbors. And we need all the help we can get. For those of us who cannot seem to catch a break, help us to catch our breath. For those of us who have just caught our stride, help us to make it easier for others to catch up. In our sleeping and waking, in our work and in our play, in our responsibilities and in our rest, 
Come to us, Holy One. Abide with us and grant us your peace. Amen. And now let us say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Creator, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you reign in the power that is love, now and always. Amen. It is a gift to be with you and to share music with you, and you probably don't want to hear my bracelets banging. You are my refuge. You are my strength. When I am confused, when I am strayed, you are my refuge. You are my strength. When I am confused, when I am strayed.
Will you pray with me? Our tradition tells us of a story, Holy One, when you called out to Abraham. Since you didn't use his middle name, he must have known he wasn't in trouble. Here I am, he replied. We wonder, though, if he shouted it like a teenager from their bedroom, slightly annoyed at being disturbed. Or maybe he answered you enthusiastically the same way he would have if it had been Sarah or Isaac needing him for something. Perhaps he responded with a kind of confidence possessed only by those in the Faith Hall of Fame. We guess we'll have to keep wondering, for like email, it's impossible to read someone's tone from the text. Did Abraham hesitate, though, even for a moment? Were there those three dots on the screen indicating a moment where someone's typing, only to disappear and then reappear and then disappear again? I mean, you had already asked him to leave everything, to go from your country and your kindred, and he had done as instructed. It seems like an ask that big would be enough to let him off the hook for the rest of his life. The text makes it seem like Abraham didn't pause, not for a single second. Your question and his answer are all in the same verse, but it's hard to know for sure, because all we have is the written word. What we do know is that he answered he waved his hand, he wrote back, he didn't ghost you, he returned your message. What a story. When you call us to leave what is comfortable, when you call us to do the work of building community, 
when you ask us to be faithful, Holy One, may we, like Abraham, answer clearly. Here we are. Maybe we even add, how can we help? Clearing our throats and mustering our courage, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite our kindergarten through fifth graders to join Joanna and Tammy for Kids in Community. That's right, you can circle all the way back up. And we'll see you all in just a little bit. Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. God has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, God has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before God. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already is, and God seeks out what has gone by. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for God has appointed a time for every matter and for every work. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. You call us to leave what is comfortable to build community. I have admired the work of this congregation and the work of Reverend Walkie from afar for quite a long time. I am also aware of what it means to be a first in a church. I was the first openly gay female sister minister to actually serve that congregation that started in 1921. And you can't be what you can't see. So thank you for walking courageously in the footsteps of what it means to be a female senior minister in these times.
I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my God, my rock and source of my joy and strength. I want to begin with my cultural disclosure because positionality matters. And in the topic about time today and your time, it really, really matters. So I am a rational mystic informed by a liberationist, universalist Christian narrative, my father's Buddhism, Sufism, and my experience in altered states. I am the mother of a 13-year-old girl, and I am a third-generation Oklahoman. I seem to be too theist for many Unitarian Universalists, too inclusive for many Christians, too worshipful for many traditional churches, and just too gay to be in this love with God and the Bible. <laughs> I recognize that my white, cisgender, and straight-passing, non-parolee, native English-speaking, able-bodied, average-build privileges, as well as my U.S. citizenship, have allowed me to access higher education and opportunities not similarly available to the global majority. I have benefited from the labor and trauma of BIPOC teachers, friends, and strangers, and continue to benefit from systems that perpetuate their cycles of trauma. I recognize that power inequity and systemic oppression are genuine forms of trauma, many of which I will never and can never experience due to my own lived experiences and identities. I strive to hold myself accountable for dismantling my oppressive patterns and recognize that this will be a lifelong journey. I encourage and welcome feedback on my blind spots through your lenses. Each of my identities has been narrated by a dominant, heterosexist, Christian-centric, colonial culture that continues to construct me as an irreligious, unredeemable, un-American, degenerate, and deeply pathological human being whose rights, practices, body, and marriage are debated, legislated, and threatened in the public square. I aim to privilege narrative freedom for all to speak without fear, bullying, incarceration, or cancellation. Whew. That's a lot. But I thought I might want to start with that so that I can define me and you don't have to work so hard at it. <laughs> I will tell you that I grew up here in Oklahoma City and it really is a privilege to be able to speak in the space and the home, at least in the city where I, where I grew up. I did come from Tulsa to come meet you this morning. Um, I want you to know that I am, of course, an academic in addition to being a minister, and so I did do my homework and wrote something nice and thick for you. Um, however, I'm not going to use much of it. <laughs> and I think it's actually apropos because I see I left, I got up this morning at 4 a.m. to work in my usual fashion. And some of this, some might judge as procrastinating. I would judge it as actually having been open all week to what it is that I wanted to write. I like to wake up in the morning and let that time just flow out of me without my intellectual self getting in the way. And I also like to know what's happening the morning that I'm actually stepping in the pulpit in case something major occurs because I'm not going to tie myself to a script necessarily. 
So that practice of getting up at 4 a.m. and preaching helped me so much, actually, during my time at All Souls, where I was preaching on a regular basis. But now, at 50, when I don't get a chance to preach as much, I've been trying to be a little more courageous. The expectation of a congregation like All Souls, maybe like here too, is that the words are crafted and delivered almost like poetry. And I know that Lori writes poetry, so I'm sure that you have some expectation around having writers as ministers. But for me, I'm trying to push a little harder. Have you all heard that? There's a joke, actually. Lori is holding her breath because she's never seen me walk down this pulpit without falling before. Have you ever seen, heard the, the, um, the joke about a, well, it's, it's, it's like a parable more, more so, about the engineer who helps to build this amazing machine and gets to the end of his career and retires and hands everything over to the manager. And at some point, the, the machine that they built stops working. And so he, the manager reaches out to the engineer and says, will you come and fix it? You're the only one who understands really what's going on. And so he said, sure. He started consulting. So he came in and he took a big hammer and he hit the machine in this spot and it started working again. And then he sent him a bill for $10,000. And so the manager called him up and said, hey, thank you so much for doing this, but could you send us an itemized bill? Because we have, a, we have an accountant who'd like to account for all of the things that just happened. And so he sent off a, an itemized bill and when the manager received the bill, it said, $5 for the hammer and $9,995 for knowing where to hit the machine. <laughs> and I, there's something about my 50th year that is allowing me to trust that a little bit more, that value that I have, that I didn't just write a sermon this morning at 4 a.m., I've been writing it for 50 years, seven months, and nine days. So when we can start to trust that we can come into a space and be who we are and share who we are and add value, that I believe is in alignment with my values and might perhaps also be in alignment with yours. So it took me a very long time to preach at All Souls without a, a text, with just notes. Matter of fact, it happened this year, interestingly. <laughs> after I had long left All Souls and was vi invited back in order to, to preach to the congregation. So that happened in my 50th year. And then because I'm doing my dissertation um, work, the project at my wife's church, I was able to actually preach at her church multiple times without, without a text. So here we go. I want to say that I know that you came for a specific, to be able to get something out of our time together, and I believe that looking at your liturgy helps me to understand a little bit more about what you feel you're agreeing to by being in this relationship with me, a guest minister who's been invited to speak. Now, here's a little bit about what I need. See, because I got my value from education for so long, and probably still do, um, there's a part of me that needs to know how I'm going to get an A from you. So what I need is actually to tell you a little bit about what I think and see if I can get some consent agreement. And that looks like this. If you walk away from our time together feeling more connected to your authentic self and or to God, then I have fulfilled my A plus and you can give me a grade and I can move along. Does that feel okay? Okay, awesome. I'll check in with you at the end. And so 
Um, be in the style of kind of Hannah Gatsby. How many of you know who Hannah Gatsby is? Let me just say, if you don't know who she is, who they are, I actually think they use they pronouns. Um, if you don't know who they are, I would highly recommend that you look up on Netflix Hannah Gatsby's Nanette. It is one of the most delightful hours you will spend. But one of the things that they do is that they plant these beautiful systemic seeds at the beginning of the show and then proceed to show you how they're hitting on all of them even though it seems like they don't have anything to do with each other. So I'm gonna do that for you. During the course of my time, I hope to hit on Ecclesiastes, Einstein, postmodernism, Girdle, and Jesus. <laughs> Think that'll work? Okay, we're gonna do it. So the sermon is called uh, In Your Own Time, correct? So I want to start with this. Wisdom is knowing what time it is. Wisdom is knowing what time it is. Now, I was raised as part of the busing generation right here in Oklahoma City in the 1970s and 80s, and I went to church at that time with my school friends, so I went to a black Baptist church quite a bit in my formative years, and those, in those spaces, sermons are more like a dialogue. They are a relationship. They are a give and take. There's a way in which a sermon, a preacher preaching in that context can't actually preach with silence on that side of the room, and I grew up in that tradition. So if you can meet me with a grunt or a mm-hmm or a something occasionally, you will be pulling out the best in me. So wisdom is knowing what time it is. That, that was your cue, right? Okay. <laughs> Warm it up. Warm it up. Um, I do think that most of you are, are familiar with that Ecclesiastes reading, the first part of it at least, right? There's a time for every single matter under heaven. Now, interestingly, um, that text is also the text that includes, that, that book includes vanity, oh vanity, you know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's a very depressing book, actually, in a lot of its spaces. It's kind of cynical. Some might say it's pretty realistic. Um, but I actually think that the author of Ecclesiastes might have tipped off Einstein's relativity. Do you see me ticking down the list? So there's something about being able to name all of those complexities, right? All of those polarities. There's a time to kill right? There's a time to, for birth. There's a time to make war. There's a time for peace. There's a time to love. All of those polarities are just presented to us, and it is our job to discern, to be in relationship with what is occurring, to step outside of that polarity of time and actually be in relationship in the in-between. Now, I know that uh, UCCs have a tagline, God is still speaking. Is that still true or have we rebranded? Okay, excellent. And so um, this idea that God is still speaking is so beautiful for me because I, when I write God in all of my uh, work that I'm doing for my dissertation, it's a G with an asterisk and then a D. It's this idea of um, that it's what we know of as God is not pronounceable necessarily, but also it's something that really you have to be in relationship with to even really understand what it is. And time is a lot like that. Time is a lot like that. So are there any physicists in the house? 
Okay, well, what if I have a crisis? I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, I was hoping they were going to keep me honest, but um, you see, it was Einstein who actually helped uh, the world understand that time is not a fixed single event. It is actually something that you have to be in relationship with. So if I ask you what time it is, that depends on a whole lot of factors, right? That depends on what time zone you're in. It depends on, um, it depends on your place, your location, right? Um, whether or not it's breakfast or not depends on whether you work a day or a night job, right? All of these things can be flexible in some respect. So knowing what time it is is actually a lot more difficult than we actually think. And Einstein's theory of re relativity came in and said, oh, guess what? Time is not something fixed. Time is actually something that's in relationship to each per person's perspective. And so now we're in this huge paradigm shift that happened quite a while ago, um, and we're still actually in it. We're in this space where the question becomes, can we, can we honor the fact that someone else's value uh, may be different than our own? They may experience something completely and totally different than our own in a way that, we can, that can still be true. Like, is it actually 10 o'clock here? Yes. But is it 11 o'clock in New York and the answer is still correct? Yes. Now we move into postmodernity. Check. Right? We are in a fight right now. Epistemicide, actually, I've heard it called. Have you heard this? So I used to be an epistemology teacher. Um, I used to teach theory of knowledge at an international baccalaureate school, very much like your used to be Classen. Is it still called Classen now that it's in my old alma mater? Mm. That building will forever be Northeast High School to me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I taught theory of knowledge, and theory of knowledge is epistemology. It's how you know what you know in a variety of different contexts. And there's lots of different ways to know things, not just intellectually. We can have somatic knowing, and we can have emotional knowing, and we can have spiritual knowing. Knowing is not just about how to fix a car, a practical, or something that you can rationalize with words, right? So we're in an age of epistemicide, so epistemology, epistemicide. You know, it's interesting that side word, C-I-D-E, usually means the death of something, right? You can tack it on to all kinds of a variety of different words at the front. There's a side at the end of it. Well, guess what else is a word that ends with side? Decide. Decide. When you decide to do something, you are making a choice. Your making a choice eliminates an infinite number of other choices. And that choice helps to shape your future, who you are, how you see the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so when we make a choice, now some things that are given to us we have no control over, right? I can't choose the time I was born in, the parents I belong to, my chemistry. I can't choose the place I was born, right? So there are definitely factors that are outside of our control, but also, so those help shape who we are and so do our choices. So it's kind of like rings in a tree, right? There is no time that passes unless there is something different that happens. 
If there's not difference, then there's no time. And the physicist would keep me in alignment if they were here, but since they're not, I'll promise you, you can Google it later. If there's no difference, there's no time. And so we're in this weird era right now of trying to decide whether or not we're going to actually step fully into postmodernism or whether or not we're going to be drugged that way, kicking and screaming with a little bit of a epistemicide in the process. So time in Ecclesiastes suggests that there's time for all of these things that are polar opposites of each other. And actually, there's a phrase there that didn't translate in this translation in particular, but that you might actually be more familiar to you, where it said, uh, you may be familiar with this line, God placed eternity in our hearts. It's not translated as that. It was actually translated as minds, I believe, in that particular translation. But I still, I love it either way. I mean, mind-heart is a whole dilemma that you can study across cultures, right? So there's, for some cultures, they only have one word, and it's mind-heart. It's the same thing. Chinese does that, I know for sure. But there are lots of cultures where that mind idea is not necessarily placed in the brain and the head. So Ecclesiastes basically says, okay, there's all these polarities, and so all these things, but, but God, but God, but God is outside of all of that and inside of all of that at the same time, because there's no polarity. God is eternal, and so therefore not in a, but at the same time still in our mortal space. Right? It's both and, both and, both and, both and. So as I do restorative justice work here in Oklahoma, and I think about how do I want to spend this one precious life of mine, one of the things that I think is important for me is to consider how to help people have more wisdom. And wisdom is knowing what time it is. And it's not because I know more about anything than they do. It's actually about sitting with and witnessing people's pain more than it is anything else. Because any place you have someone who caused harm and someone who received that harm, you're in this cycle of violence. Where did the person who caused harm, where did that, that, that impulse come from? Most likely, it came from the fact that they have already been harmed. So asking yourself on this circle of the cycle of violence of do we, where does it start? Does it start with the harming? Outside of that context, it starts with a different harm, right? Probably they were harmed before that. But should they be held accountable? Well, of course. But what if these people are actually in dialogue with each other? What if we set a table for our enemy? It doesn't mean they have to live with us. Even strawberries and onions can't be planted together. So I mean, there are, you can stay in the same garden. But this idea of getting off the cycle of violence, stepping outside of that space, has a lot to do with helping the person who caused the harm recognize where that came from for them, getting them to articulate it, and then fully witnessing first the, the person who was harmed in the fullest expression of how much that hurt them, what happened, how it changed their life. And then if there's a possibility, sometimes there's not, depends on timing, 
you can ask that person if they're curious about the, the impulses that led to that particular decision. And so what we end up with is a moment where two people in pain connect. And where two people in pain connect, where two people connect at all, there indeed God is. There indeed God is. And so as we think about time, 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 in your own time, one of the things that I do as an exercise um, with my folks in my restorative justice training classes is that I actually ask them to make a timeline. So take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, turn it sideways, draw a line down the center, and you mark it in increments, zero to five, six to 10, 11 to 15, five-year increments all the way up to your current age. There's room, I'm 50, you can keep going. There's still room, no matter how old you are. And you think and meditate and pray on each one of those segments of time. And think about significant events that actually impacted you, whether or not they were good or bad, whether you called them one thing or the other. And if it's something that you would deem bad, I don't know, you moved out of town, that could be a good or a bad, but let's just say it's bad. Let me put the line down and put what year it was and how old you were when that actually happened. So now I have a map, right? of all the things that kind of were negatively impacting you and maybe some big things like I got married, that could be negative or positive too. I got divorced, that could be negative or positive too. It depends on the person, right? Right, I came out, that could be a great thing. It could also be also bring some tragedy with it. Those, there's lots of things that handle both sides, but just even having to decide is a good exercise, right? And as you go through zero all the way to your current age and you have this map, I work with folks to witness what it is that they've experienced, that they have an opportunity to articulate their story. And then I ask them to think about what season did it happen in? What month did it happen in? If you can even get to the month, you don't have to have the day. And then they start to generate their own calendar. And it's like, oh, January was when my grandmother died when I was eight. And it's also when I got divorced, and it's also when, and now all of a sudden we start to recognize a little more about why I'm a really grumpy person in January. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, of course we should have a map for our own timing. Of course we should. Why? Because wisdom is knowing what time it is, right? Wisdom is knowing what time it is. You didn't get a manual with this life. Well, you got one idea, right? We do have one that we like to hang our, our hats on, and that's actually a really beautiful segue for me to talk about Jesus. Oh, I'm missing girdle. Thank you. Somebody's holding me accountable. But I'm about to get there. I'm going. It'll, it'll happen in the next couple sentences. So, so we do have a larger story that we like to hang our life inside the context of, and it's also a part of our calendar, right? We have Easter, we have Christmas, right? We have Pentecost, so we do Advent, right? We have, all, we have a full liturgical calendar that we get to kind of walk through, but the majority of it is ordinary time. The first time that I heard that, I was like, gosh, our whole life is just made up of ordinary time, but it's not about that. It's about ordinal numbers. It's about the counting. It's like the minutes on the clock. And so when we write ourselves into the Jesus story, like I did in my song today, when we write ourselves into the scripture, we can see things reflected back in us that might be timeless, or at least culturally bound from 3,000 years ago.
So we have this opportunity, though, to write ourselves into a larger narrative. Now I'm co-creating with God. I just got back from Germany uh, where I was invited to do a conference. I was like one of 14 people who were invited to go to this conference where we call Widen Widen the Circle. And we got to study um, with German scholars about how they, and museum uh, practitioners, about how they honor Um, the Holocaust inside the Jewish identity. And so I just got back from that space. And I will tell you, 24 hours of traveling back with a whole bunch of nearly missed flights will do something to your internal clock. I mean, really messes with it. I was there for about three weeks, and the coming back took about a week and a half to land back in my body, back in my rhythm, Right? But I, I feel like I almost got kind of a chiropractic adjustment. Like sometimes we do have to go up to the top of the mountain past all those kings to get our bearings. So for me to be whisked out of what had been a pretty, started to become a routine a little bit for me about how I was doing life and food and exercise and I don't know, post-pandemic, y'all get what I'm talking about. You're not fully back on track either, are you? Okay, right. Talk to me. It's not just me. And so anyway, I do think it gave me a jolt. It gave me a jolt that I needed in order to be able to get back into what I would consider to be this time zone in this moment to be more wise about my choices. Sometimes we do have to get that bird's eye view to be able to make that actually work because wisdom, because wisdom is knowing what time it is. Wisdom is knowing what time it is. So the interesting thing about Girdle, you thought I was going to forget. Kurt Girdle, do I have any mathematicians in the house? Oh, see, this is the problem that I have. I taught epistemology, so I know just enough to get me in trouble. So I know just about a, lot of, about a whole lot of different subject areas to get me in trouble. But anyway, I've always been fascinated with Kurt Girdle. And one of the things I love about him is that his theory basically says that even A equals A is an assumption. And what that means for mathematics, because that means nothing to most of us, but what that means for mathematics and for philosophy is that I have to reference my world of truth with something outside of me and that system. Just like if you're setting a clock, what do you set your clock to? Another clock that was set to what? Another clock that was set to, I mean, right. But the idea is in mathematics that you have to have, you have, you're making an assumption about even what A equals A is, and that assumption might re- be wrong. I know enough about mathematics that this will freak you out about ordinal time, to know that there's an infinite number of numbers between the numbers one and two, and two and three, and three and four. So what that means is that they're really irrelevant. They're kind of like benchmarks, but still we get to do all these wonderful things with them, right? It's all about you, and it's not at all about you. <laughs> Same thing writing yourself into the Jesus story. It's all about you, and it's not all about you. That's the tension, the in-between, between the G and the asterisks and the D that I'm talking about. It's a relationship. And time has to be a relationship, too. So with Kurt Gödel, he says, we have to have a, basically, I'm going to translate, cornerstone, right? We have to have something that says, this is north. This is what we mean when we say A equals A. 
right? In order for any system to actually function well. And that's true with time, and it's true with meaning, and it's true with our values, and it's true in a life of faith. It's true in a life of faith when we are able to hook our story to this larger Jesus narrative that teaches us so much about what we can do in our lived life with a mortal and eternal coexisting in the same space. Because we are both human and divine. Jesus came to show us who we are. Jesus only did what the Father did. Jesus came in order to be able to show us that this eternal part of us is a great place to have as a cornerstone. So when we know whose we are, we know who we are, when we set our clock to that larger faith clock, we learn a little bit more about how we move in the world with maybe a little less fear. You can be scared, but it doesn't have to be dangerous. And that can move us incrementally towards being more on time with our own calling. So wisdom is knowing what time it is. And those are the connections between Ecclesiastes, postmodernism, Einstein, Gödel, and Jesus. And with that, I leave you. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.